We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, friends. Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow coming to you on Wednesday night, uh, non-Luka Doncic day, 7-7-21. We're coming to you after I said I would record another podcast and then just didn't do it because life life happened. Uh, We're continuing our what will probably be a five-part series of a review looking back at kind of different Maverick seasons. Uh, The last time we covered... Luka Doncic, Maxi Kleba, and Trey Burke. And tonight we're going to talk about Chris Porzingis, Dwight Powell, and Josh Green. Josh, how are you? I'm doing quite well, and and I don't know. I'm just ready to get into it. Uh, I don't don't have much else to say. Well, it's it's before tonight. we before we kind of like get into the players. I I like um, one thing that apparently resonated with our listeners. Cause I got a lot of messages about this was people actually nodding and going, you know what? Rick really never went to bat for Luca. And, and that's going to be something that I, I think is, is, you know, at least in a way for the, the fouls uh, that we would have thought, which, it, you know, it just kind of came to me at the time. But the more I think about it, the more it's just kind of weird that it never happened. Um, because like Lucas free throws were just down by such a significant margin compared to the year before. It's just, it's going to be something I'm going to look forward to watching. And I really think like Jason Kidd, who is a fairly demonstrative coach, um, hopefully they can kind of work that out as, as a, you know, coach player combo, because Luca needs to be going like Luca should be a top five, top four guy in the league in terms of free throws with how often he has the ball. Anyways, I just thought that was a, like a, a nice piece of feedback from, from the fans of the show. Um, all right, so we we you know we started with Luca last time. We should probably get to KP first now. Chris F. Porzingis, uh, if you, if you read Matthew Phillips's uh, profile on the site, you know he had probably his best statistical season in terms of efficiency, and yet he really just didn't have the a season that I I feel that in retrospect I was way too harsh on him, but at the same time he's still just he's not anywhere near close to living up to the expectations fans had for him 
Honestly, I don't know if you're too harsh on him in the sense, oh, I mean, people are going to disagree with that because of your that one tweet <laughs> that will live, that people will always have bookmarked. Uh, but I mean, he really was bad on the defensive end. Like, we can't yeah. really mince words there. If we're if we're being honest about like where we might have been too hard on him, it's probably the offense mm-hmm. uh, because, like you said, he was. You know, you look at his shooting numbers, and it's kind of remarkable how good they look when you kind of when you ask someone to picture what KP looks like in your head in terms of like how he performs, and it's like um, this last season he had career highs in just about every single shooting category except for three-point shooting but like far and away career high on two-point shooting far away career high true shooting percentage um so the offense also was you know uh, istock franco did an in-depth piece on this though porzingis himself might not have had the season that he wanted him just existing on the floor changes the math for the mavericks offense yeah, because there's no one really else on the roster that can replicate what he does, and there's not a lot of people in the league that can replicate what he does, despite the fact that more bigs are shooting as much as they're shooting. Um, if teams guarded Kristaps as what his career numbers look like, I mean, th- things would look way different. But teams still, they fear him like he's a 40% three-point shooter, and that's kind of immeasurable. Like, you can't. Like you can't discount that impact that has on the offense. And I think in his tux piece, he talked about the frequency at which Luca got to the rim and, and shots mm-hmm. in the restricted area increased when Kristaps was on the floor. And that makes sense. Cause when he's your five, you know, he's going to draw the other five man out away from the basket and things just operate in a way that can't with anyone, any other big on the floor. So it's a, it's a weird, interesting interesting discussion about KP because I think everyone in the universe can agree that what he's given the Mavericks so far in two, two seasons and and two playoff runs is not worth the contract that he has. But on the other side of it, if he wasn't on the team or if they didn't have that floor spacing, who knows how good the offense would be, you know, it'd still be pretty good. But in terms of being this like crazy record setting type offense and Luca going from, you know, 20 to 28, 29 point per game score, basically, basically overnight. Like, does it come that easy? Uh, which is what it's been for him. It, it's felt for, for two years. So it's, it's a really interesting debate and it's a really interesting dilemma because, you know, you, is that worth 30 million? I don't know, but probably not in a vacuum, but then what's the alternative? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you know, the, the offense, he, if, if you're kind of going through his game log, like the the individual statistical markers for him where he has like these incredible games uh with the exception of this the one new orleans pelicans game almost all of the games where he really showed out were against pretty bad teams um particularly in the second half of the year because you know you look at you know you if if we rewind even more so he tore his meniscus in the bubble last year in the playoffs and, you know, seemed to he didn't want to get surgery or the Mavericks didn't want him to have surgery, whatever the whatever the case may be was. He didn't have surgery until much, you know, f- a significant chunk of time after he actually tore his meniscus. Then whenever the season started back up in December, kind of right along with Luca, enough Mavericks, you know, Luca and KP both seemed to be a little bit caught off guard with this where even heading into the season, you know, there was news that Chris Stapps really, really, really wanted to play uh, because he, you know, despite kind of the the grief that that me and other fans give him about his his kind of um, 
just how he doesn't play enough games. He really wants to play. It's not a, I don't want to, it's the Mavs won't let him. Uh, so he missed the first nine games of the season. And then he ended up missing another 20 plus games throughout the season, either due to rest or injury. And he, he you know, talking with some, some, uh, you know, uh, physical therapists, things like that. It really seems that for a guy of his size, the ACL on one knee followed by the meniscus in the other knee, it's enough to really, to really wonder if it's not like a two year recovery. Um, there were some really awkwardly hilarious workout photos of him today. And I, I just can't help but think that if he even, he just needs to improve a little bit. Because by the end of the year, teams just didn't fear him. I mean, he was not blocking anything. Guys were driving right at him. And if he can just regain even a little bit of of kind of a mid-ground to where he was at the end of 2019-2020 to the awful, just how awful he was this year, then he's going to be a more effective player. Because I I just, the only way he he is worse is, is if he if they play him longer kind of if if he manages to have another injury i'm just i don't really see how how he how he can be worse than he was defensively this year at least with you know right now you know understanding that he's going to get a healthy offseason and that sort of thing josh oh sorry about that i was on mute again <laughs> and we did that earlier before we even started i not paying attention to the blinking red light on my microphone. Um, so what I was going to say is, is the worry is like guys with in his circumstance, his height and his injuries and his body type don't typically get better as the age, as the ages uh, goes up. Um, it, it gets kind of scary the closer, you know, as he creeps, he's going to be on the other side, uh, you know, uh, in, of his twenties, he's going to be in the, latter half of his 20s so he's closer to 30 and the closer you get to that 30 year mark and as a 7-3 guy with multiple knee surgeries it just historically it it's not it's not yeah, he's, had, he's had 14 lower body injuries that have resulted yeah. in this time so, and it yeah. but at the same time on top of that he's never been healthy nope i just uh, in an off season this is you know i guess we could count the one between you know because he missed the like an entire season due to his acl surgery but in terms of like traditional offseason, I there's if you're if you're looking for an optimist's view of what he could become, there there's just enough there to where I understand why the Mavericks might not want to give up on him just yet. I mean, when I when I watch him in the season, this is what I drive people crazy about. Like, I just lean towards the most likely outcome. And with how many games and stuff that was happening this year, he never really got his sea legs under him. I, I'm just not there there's not a really defining stretch if you look at the games like they were babying this is i almost said they were babying him that's not fair they were very concerned about his knees the whole year and he was never really able to get into a rhythm paired with the fact that i think luca to an extent lost a little bit of confidence in him because uh, you know the usage the you know is talk wrote about this too the usage for porzingis went down the final 3 months of the year like it, it you know, and and there, I don't want to say there are chemistry issues because the the numbers don't bear that out. But if if Porzingis can't play in a regular role, then it's hard for this team to establish anything like what they had at the start of 2019. 
Yeah, and I think some of that might have been due to the fact that it was pretty obvious this season that despite the fact that Kristaps' efficiency was pretty well, was 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 pretty great compared to the rest of his career, uh, was his his offense, like in terms of as an individual player, being able to generate offense unto himself was mm-hmm. disastrous. Just like completely fell off the face of the earth. Uh, his free throw rate was 20.2%. Uh, then just to give you an idea of his career is 27.2. And, and the prior two seasons, he was at 30. And then uh, his first two years in the league, he was 27 and 20, 25. So not just like a career low, but like a significant career low. Like he just did not get to the free throw line. Yeah. Uh, and then as his talk wrote in his piece, uh, I think it's, I think he had about 20, 21 of his 21 percent of his made field goals were uh were unassisted or, um compared to you know you know whatever i'm terrible at the math but you know high you know like 79 right. yeah uh, were assisted and it's hard to um like that's hard like that's that's really great for like a guy that can play off luca but in terms of like he's He's paid to be that, but he's also mm-hmm. paid to be when Luke is on the bench, he can still do things. And that happened at the end of last year. And I think when you think about his injury and his recovery, it obviously zapped him on the defensive end. And where it zapped him on the offensive end wasn't necessarily in his overall efficiency, but just in, in how he was able to generate offense by himself without Luca. And the numbers without Luca were, were bad. They were bad to mm-hmm. when Kristaps was on the floor and Luca wasn't. So well, and that's that's a concern going forward and you hope the health helps there a little bit and there's this contingent of fans and i just i'm just gonna say it like there's a contingent of fans who don't know what the hell they're talking about when they say oh he just needs to get more looks he needs to get more opportunities to score on his own he needs to be fed these chances and the numbers don't bear that out the man shoots in in the low 30s when he dribbles more than three times. I cannot express how bad that is. Um, and it's okay. The At a certain point, I would like to believe that Porzingis could accept that who he is is a very valuable player in a very specific role. You know, there's all these people who still latch on to the dirt comparisons for him because they're two tall white dudes. It's not fair to Porzingis. He is who he is, like like Mark Cuban said, but I still think he can be a better player than he was this last season or at least more effective for what the Mavericks need from him. And I just don't know if he's he's likely just understanding that this is pure speculation. I get the feeling he's not going to understand that until it is far too late for him. Yeah, because, I mean, he came up in New York, and he was, like, the next big thing, and now he comes to Dallas, and he's heralded as, like, oh, here it is. The, here's Luca's site. You know, here's Luca's guy that's going to take him to the next level, and it just – it's hard to, to, to have that, and then now it's like, hey, you need to be 7'3", mm-hmm. Tim Hardaway Jr., basically, you know, and, and also play defense. Like, that's just a drastically different type of role. I think that's what caused a lot of his offensive struggles last season early before he kind of got hot at the end of the season after the Dwight Powell injury. Um, but this season, I just, like you said, it's in the numbers. He When he was given the opportunity to create and to make offense, 
you know, without being a play finisher, you know, being almost a play starter, it was, it was bad. It was very bad, except for, you know, his post-up numbers surprisingly went up this year compared to last year, but he was better too. He was actually better on them, which is odd. But outside of that, everything else was, was rough. Um, So that's the million dollar question is, is that worth what he's being paid? But it is, if he can get back to like, if you can combine his offense from this season and his defense from last season. I mean, he was a legitimately great defender last mm-hmm. season. I mean, he was basically I didn't understand it at the time. I really yeah, didn't. I mean, he was the reason that defense, like that defense was what, like 18th or 19th. And he if, was why. Yeah. Yes. Like if, it, if, if he played how he did this season, last season, the Mavs might've had the worst, might've had the worst defense in the entire league. Uh, so I, I, I really believe that. So if he can get back to it on the defensive end, I think there's something to salvage. But the you know the things that we don't know is what's it like behind the scenes. We can't answer. You know, we're not the people that are going to be able to answer that. And you know, we've discussed. You know, is trading Przingis less about getting value in return for him and more just it's time to move on because it's just an untenable situation, not just yep. from a production standpoint, but just from your basketball team. <laughs> enjoying the company of each other and just the way things work. You know, sometimes you have a, a coworker who isn't a terrible performer, but he stink the way the office gels and operates when he's there it just doesn't work. Right. So yep. you just wonder if it's that, if that's the thing that we can only speculate on and we'll, and I guess we'll get an answer this off season maybe, because if that's true, then, then they'll find a way to trade him. But if not, then, then they believe that, that the locker room stuff, the behind the scenes stuff is not as bad as, as it could be. And they're going to, you know, push forward and, and hope, like you said, the healthy off season of rehab uh, can do something for him. Yep. Yep. Well, with that in mind, we should then pivot to the next guy we wanted to talk about who entered the season. Uh, Amir. He, so on, on January 20th, 2020 i think it was january 20th it was it was christoph's Porzingis' first game back from a long kind of like a three-week spell where we didn't know what was wrong with his knee dwight powell ruptured his achilles uh and the mavericks were simply not the same after he left because he had really added a vertical element to their offense fast forward to uh november 2020 he was back playing with the team 10 months removed from an achilles tear and I, I cannot, anybody who knows, if, if you've ever met anyone with an Achilles injury and they're, they'll talk to you about it, it is a harrowing injury where if, you know, I mean, it's such a big tendon to rupture that, that a lot of guys, it's just ended, it's ended their career in very real ways. And Dwight Powell came into the, the 2021 season looking like his career was over. Uh, Carlisle played him a lot early and often. Uh, if you go back and are, are looking through the game logs, to the point to where we, as a collective fan base, were were sort of you know, the first nine games he played a ton of minutes, and then all of a sudden didn't play for almost eight games. I can't remember why, but it it took you know a seventh of the season for Rick Carlisle to understand that that. Dwight was unplayable. He was not healthy or rather he, he didn't have it, whatever that certain thing is. 
And really, he he didn't really show much. He played a whole bunch because the Mavericks sort of needed bodies. But then kind of in the final, I want to say, fit like 10 to 15 games, we started joking where we were getting April and May Dwight Powell, which for longtime Mavs fans, particularly people who listen to like Locked On Mavs, for in the Mavs uh, sort of tanking seasons, Dwight Powell always had hilariously like numerically efficient and then just big stats games in April uh, whenever we didn't want to win. <laughs> and then he started doing it this year whenever the Mavericks were in the playoffs chase. It was really fun. And he he kind of had a bounce back second half to where I don't know what to feel about him heading into next season. But but Josh, I rambled for far too long. Why, why don't you talk a little bit oh, about, about no, that season? That's not even close to how much I can ramble. But Kirk, I'll I'll give you some stats here. I've been looking them up while you're talking because it, it kind of inspired me to look this stuff up for you to give you give you some context. Last season, the Mavericks, uh, according to NBA.com, pick and roll, roll man, play type. Uh, the Mavericks were second in the league in possessions uh, finished by the pick and roll, roll man. And they were 96.6 percentile. Uh, they scored 1.25 points per possessions uh, when the pick and roll roll man finished the play. Um, that that's is good. that's very, that is very good. Uh, the only other team that was better than them last season was the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, funny enough, but that's uh, when Chris Paul was on Oklahoma City, so that probably helps when you have a great pick and roll point guard that can can set up some athletic finishers. Um, that's probably what happened there. Uh, but yeah, so that was a big part of their offense is, is the role man. It's always been a big part of Carlo's offense. Going back to even the title team in 2011 with Tyson Chandler um, and every year since then, like having a floor spacing big and Dirk and then putting uh, next to that floor spacing big, a vertical rim runner has been like, that's, that's the, that's the engine to so many of the most successful Mavericks offenses under Rick Carlisle. Uh, and it's changed with some lesser talented parts, but, you know, Brandon Wright and Dwan Blair and Samuel Dallenbear, some better than others, obviously, but that's a staple. And and, and last season with, with KP and Powell, uh, despite the fact of how good KP was after Powell went down, before that, they were very good together on the floor offensively. Uh, Powell was amazing in that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to kind of emphasize what happened with Powell and how his ineffectiveness they went so it's kind of funny they went from 96 percentile to 86 which is still good and they still scored 1.18 points per possession which is still not bad like they're still like top five or six in the league in terms of pick and roll roll man finishing the play effectiveness but that's a big you know that's a big enough drop to where you'll notice it on the on the floor right like even if it's still good it's it wasn't as good and and that's where we kind of saw the Mavericks offense just look a little different than it did from a year ago um and when you go into the numbers you know you look at Powell and it was kind of he didn't do anything the first half of the season as a role man uh Kirk this is gonna be really funny but he finished in the 90.8 percentile as a role man 1.38 1.38 points per possession. Despite how freaking terrible think he of, was. Yes, think about how bad he was in the first Gosh. two months of the season. Uh, and you look at his game log in May and parts of it, like the end of April and the rest of May, and it's it's hilarious. It's like 75%, 100% from the floor, 75 100%. Like, well, and he, then- tra- he started to turn the clock back. But the thing is, is, is – do you count on that going forward? And then the thing is he averaged seven and a half minutes per game in the playoffs. So it's like, 
it's very what that says to me is that the it's very crucial this element that the Mavericks need, but they don't have a guy that they feel like they can give it to them in the playoffs and not be a liability elsewhere on the floor, which yeah. is kind of what Pal is. Well, and it's funny because we're talking about his his strength as a role man. He is the only Maverick who knows how to set a screen. The yes, only one. The and and he does a lot of things, a lot of basketball important things to where if you were to have like the NFL has their like all 22 camera where it's like you can kind of really like get into the absolute weeds with what's happening. If you were to devote a camera to what happens when Dwight Powell is on the floor, at least on the offensive end, he does a ton of little things to help the offense go. Where he is terrible, and and it cannot be stressed enough how bad he is at defense. <laughs> like Specifically he, at the rim. That's where he gives he, up like 80% at the rim. Like it, it, he might as well, like dudes probably, if he was not there, they might shoot the same. It's, it's astonishing. He has high hips and he's not strong in the base despite being an incredible leaper. And he just gets moved out of the way by anyone. He also just, it's like, he's just out of position a lot. I, I don't, it, it's for a guy who knows where to go on offense, his inability to be, his, his inability to just look terrible on defense is truly astonishing. And he's he's a one-way player, but it, it's not, you know, we knew this. I mean, he was a he was a super senior when he came into the NBA. Like, he was a 23-year-old rookie. Like, that doesn't happen. And he's carved himself out quite an NBA career, including this, this Achilles tear. And I... He's kind of the he he's just been a really important cog to the Mavericks for a long time, um, which I cannot believe we're saying out loud. But it's you know he he's, he's I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with him. Between you know those of us who listen to the podcast, I earnestly think the Mavericks might move him this off season. There was enough stuff like weird things you were hearing during the trade deadline. I don't report on any of this stuff, but I get. I talked to a lot of people and, and it just wouldn't shock me because he went from being an absolute dead weight contract to now where there's, I think there's a real chance, you know, that somebody might take a, take a, a pass with him because he has uh one year. No, he has two years left at about 11 million each year. And that's one of those mid-level contracts. That's, you know, it's, it's appealing because he's, he is a functional player. I mean, he might be a, you know, seventh, eighth man, but he's still, you know, he's still something. So. Yeah, I mean, especially with the way he finished the season, he kind of redeemed any value he had mm-hmm. to the rest of the league. I mean, he still ended up finishing as one of the best role man in the entire league, and that's that's still a valuable trait. And, you know, the defense, like you said, is pretty bad. Uh, the one thing I wish they would do more is I wish that the Mavericks would have been more active on the defensive end when he was on the floor because it's like, look, you're playing drop with Dwight Powell. Like, you're going to get what scored. Do you expect like, to what, yeah, and, and, and every time they used him to trap the pick and roll, I always felt like they didn't – it wasn't always a success, but it felt mm-hmm. like things happened more often, you know, like just getting, guy, getting guys out of their spot, uh, forcing guys to make plays that they don't want because Powell's pretty nimble even after the Achilles and once he kind of got – regained his, his foot speed a little bit after the first two seasons. Like, he's pretty – quick on his feet for for a guy his size and that was very useful in trapping on the perimeter and, and things like that but you know if you're not doing that with him he's you know he's one of the biggest defensive liabilities on the floor but uh it i think the mavericks goal with with pal you know if they can keep him being like a, a super bench guy that's fine like you said maybe they can find someone to to take him and, and for, use his contract either free up cap space or 
match salary in a, in a trade for for another higher tier piece. But I think with with the Mavericks is even if they move on from Dwight Powell, they still need that verticality and mm-hmm. that, that rim running presence. I think the goal for them is to find someone that can do that and then stay on the floor on the other end because it's kind of like if Powell's going to give you all this great rim running in the regular season and be one of the most elite finishers and, and play 25 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes a night. And then the playoffs come around and he's a seven to 10 minute guy. It's like, well, that's, there's some value in being a guy that can help you win games in the regular season. But I think the Mavericks are now at that point where that's okay. Uh, we need something more like the, mm-hmm. it's time to take the next step and they need to find a guy that can give them what pal gives them the good parts uh, without so much of the bad parts. Yeah. And all uh, it's it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with him because if he comes back, I don't think anybody would necessarily mind. But it's it's he's just he the Mavs rely on him a little too much for a guy who's that one directional. Yep, we can say that about everyone on the team. Uh, that's true. <laughs> so last but not least, I think we're going to pivot to rookie uh, Josh Green, who was taken with what was he the eighteenth pick in in the draft. Um, you know, since uh, all the news has dropped, uh, particularly with the way things went with, uh, you know, kind of Donnie Nelson leaving, if we're to assume Tim Cato's reporting, and we have no reason to doubt this, has some uh, merit to it, uh, Haralabov Vulgaris was the reason Josh Green was selected at 18. And at the time we all kind of talked ourselves into the fact that he's a young big wing because he is still you know he's he's going to be 21 at some point uh before the end of this year he's uh, according to basketball reference he's 20 in 233 days he's young ish uh he but he's he's a big guy he's 6'5 and and 200 something pounds which he just he's a thick guy like like uh Dorian Finney-Smith is a little bit taller but just looks wiry and gets kind of bullied out of the way Josh Green, you know, had kind of an up and down rookie year where Carlisle didn't play him. And he, for a significant chunk of the season, showed no reason why he should play. Uh, later in the year, whenever they were kind of trying to, to you know, just make it into the playoffs, then not, you know, play a full, you know, seven and a half man rotation. Josh Green started to get little, little, you know, spurts of minutes where he was kind of a chaotic good. Uh, his statistical profile was pretty much non-existent. I mean, he can't shoot. He is a not, he doesn't really rebound. He, he has the profile of a defender, but he doesn't really defend. He moves the ball on offense. And I think he's an interesting cutter um, because a lot of Mavericks got used to just standing around, but you know, the, the rookie year of Josh green is, is inconclusive at best in my opinion. Yeah. I don't really know what else you can say definitive you can't really say anything definitively about him right i mean he played less than 500 minutes this season like he's Mm -hmm. still very much a mystery box in a lot of ways and that's the part of my brain that wants like because there's the rational part of my brain that wants to get like understand that and realize that we have so little data on him in terms of how much he's played nba basketball that we really we really cannot make an ironclad prediction on how well the next two or three seasons are going to go for him. But boy, is it really easy to want to get really mad, not necessarily at him, but just when you consider what the other draft picks that 
right around him and below him have done already. And you can't help but already feel like that this move is, is a bit of a misfire. But again, you want to be fair to the guy, and he's he's not even 21 years old yet. He's barely played. He played 39 games. He averaged 11 minutes a game in those 39 games. Like he's still there's like there's still so much there to to give him rope on. Um, and now that there's a new coach uh, that's not Rick Carlisle, maybe there is a chance that we get some more minutes. But it, I don't have a lot of faith. Yeah, because Jason Kidd is a veterans coach. That's true. He is. he is not a veteran. Um, I don't know. I, this summer league is going to be very. I've, I've talked about this in green rooms. This summer league is going to be very informative for me because, as I, I've stated early and often, summer league is is the only thing to, to be concerned about. Even if you're good, it doesn't really matter very much. But if you're bad, it's it's an alarm bell. And if if he is one of all four of the previous rookies are, are you know second year guys are going to be playing in in Vegas and if he doesn't show something uh, some aspect of an NBA game then the Mavericks are in a a, a lot of trouble uh, not to step on your toes but I think you're kind of like you've been doing a little bit of uh, research and putting together something about how the Mavericks have really not used their assets in a way that have positioned them to make they're just sort of boxed in and the the josh green pick is emblematic of of this being boxed in because if he really was picked because vulgaris you know plugs some statistical markers some range some things like that into a black box formula and said we should draft him despite the various guys on the board that had production at their fingertips, then I think it's something that that we're going to be concerned about for a while. Now, there's a lot of people who are really excited about him just because they see flashes, but sustainability while playing next to Luca is the only thing that really matters to me. Yeah, and like it or not, you know, the Mavericks don't have a lot of avenues to improve their team right now because they've kind of shot their trade ammo at for mm-hmm. the Kristaps Porzingis trade. So you can scream all you want about how non-lottery picks are dart throws in the NBA draft, but the Maverick, this 18th pick, like he, this has to turn into something like this yeah. cannot be Justin Anderson where he gives you maybe some brief flashes. And then you trade him away for nothing. And then, you know, Anderson did not prove the Mavericks wrong after they traded him. But Justin Anderson so, has had a better cur- Like just like people who compare the two are misunderstanding and misremembering Justin Anderson's rookie year. Justin yeah, he had much Anderson better, was better. better rookie year. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, he was it's, also it's, older. He yeah. was an older, older rookie, but yeah, it, it, they have to get something out of this pick. And I don't, even if it's like, if they can get it, you know, even if he helps grease the wheels in a trade, you know, like, they just they this can't be a zero yeah. from from this and fair or not to him you know the Mavericks only have so many ways they can build this roster since they had to give up a draft pick to get Luca they gave up two draft picks to get Kristaps um, they are not a team that that gets guys to come in free agency and that's just a fact they just don't spend all their money for yeah. whatever reason we can argue that till the cows come home we won't argue that here but so if you look at that and you look and say okay they don't have trade ammo. Free agency is spotty at best, given the past ten years on record. Uh, you gotta, you gotta do something with this draft pick, and yep. the fact that guys like Desmond Bain and Sadiq Bay have already, you know, wildly blown past uh, what we can maybe expect from a Josh Green, even like a second year Josh Green season, uh, in some ways, is 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 disappointing. And, and it's not again, it's not on him. It's like 
the thing that really confuses me about the Josh Green pick is I think almost everyone that talked about him in terms of like people that were really into the draft, I don't think anyone thought he was the type of guy that was going to be like, oh, he's going to come in and, and average 20 minutes a game as a rookie and give you like production. Like he was very raw. And when you have a team built like the way the Mavs are, I mean, I just don't see the logic in picking a guy that needs a bunch of minutes to develop on a team that's not going to give him to you. Uh, but could, he, he, you know, but could still use something right now, and, and uh, it's and just weird. The thing about Josh Green compared to those other guys that you mentioned that are are playing is those other guys are tradable assets now. Mm-hmm. And when you pick a guy who doesn't do anything, there is no value. There is no value outside of salary filler, and and that's the sort of thing that that's a little bit frustrating and. You know, we'll see what they do with him. I, I'm still optimistic in the sense of Carlisle did not give him enough run. Carlisle did not put him in six in positions to succeed. And I agree wholeheartedly with the criticisms of Carlisle would yank him for the kind of, of mistakes that he let Trey Burke make over and over and over. And I, sorry, know, go ahead. That, that's just so I, I get the positivity is yeah. what I'm saying. I, w- I just wanted to say, like, I mean, Carlisle benched him after he threw a beautiful alley-oop pass that Willie Cauley-Stein dunked off the side of the rim. Mm. So that kind of stuff was extremely annoying. And then, of course, me and you both raged whenever they would sit Luca or KP and he would still get, like, nine minutes. And it's like, what are we – like, there were opportunities. Not saying he needed to play. He earned opportunities to play more or the Mavericks could have afforded opportunities for him to play like a ton more, but there was certainly more than what was given. And, and that was a little disappointing, Uh, but we'll see his passing seems to be pretty like, that's gotta be like the most interesting part of his game, I think. Uh, And and if he can, he just has to make shots though. Like his passing can be fun. He can have some, some good athletic transition moments, but if he can't shoot and he shot, um, what is 16% it? 16% from three. He shot four out of 25. Uh, and it's pretty alarming that he only took 25 threes in 39 uh, games played despite yep. the lack of minutes. Like it, it, the, the lack of makes and the lack of attempts is, is very, very concerning. So that's, that's going to be the key. Uh, it was the key with Dorian. If Dorian didn't turn it around with his three point shooting, uh, he would probably not be on an NBA roster right now. So, Uh-oh. All the other stuff is fun, the passing, the rebounds, the transition plays, but if he can't shoot, it, it's over. So so we just need to see some progress in the right direction there. That's right. Well, once again, you and I meant to talk for 25 minutes, and we've talked for know. 40 because we like talking basketball, and that's good. It's good for everybody else. Um, just so everybody knows, our posting schedule, it's going to be a little bit sporadic. I'm packing to move. Josh <laughs> has an infant. Things just tend to happen. Uh, as you know, you're going to be listening to this on a Thursday. I will definitely be doing my Friday show on Green Room, which you should subscribe or download and join in. It's really fun. Josh and I hope to do, we're going to do all of these. I just don't really know when they're going to happen or when they're going to be posted. So, you know, kind of bank on an every other day schedule as we kind of march along the next several weeks. Um, I don't know. It's been fun. Josh, you got anything else? No, I think that's about it. Like you said, we talked longer than we thought. So why don't we, why don't we just get out of here? All right, but I've been, been enjoying it. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, Kirk and Josh from Mavs Moneyball Podcasts. You should subscribe to the feed. You should tell your friends about the feed. You should really prophetize, if if I'm saying that word correctly, feed you know the feed because the the growth in in, in listenership that we experienced this last year is primarily due to word of mouth. We're really appreciative. Uh, this has been Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow on Mavs Moneyball After Dark, and we will talk to you in a few days. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.